4: and wasn't it gorgeous to hear little Adam King from uh, Killa on the news there Adam who uh, I think came into all of our hearts when he appeared on the Late Late Toy Show last year with his virtual hug and uh, today of course uh, Adam is telling everyone to give a virtual hug because today is National Hugging Day and obviously today is the day when we can't unfortunately hug people hopefully this time next year for National Hugging Day we'll all be able to to uh, hug each other. And Adam actually was saying on the that little clip that we ran on the news to keep a lookout that you might see his hugs later on. Well, I'm reading on corkbio.ie that locations in Dublin, Cork, and Waterford are set to light up with a colourful heart later as a nod to little Adam, who captured the nation's imagination on the late, late uh, toy show. The exact Cork spot hasn't been revealed, so we all have to keep our eyes open later to see if you're lucky enough to catch a glimpse of. Uh, of it. So keep a look out for that uh, later on. And I'm giving each and every everyone a virtual hug from all of us here at uh, C103. And can we also send a virtual hug across the Atlantic to President Joe Biden and uh, his Vice President uh, Kamala Harris. What a day it was uh, yesterday. And it just, it felt like All is good with the world, even though we're still living in a pandemic. But it was the end of the Trump era that had divided... America so much and I think divided the world as well. I mean I know only a a few weeks ago we had uh, some listeners on who were total Trump uh, supporters. Uh, So it's like there's a complete divide. You either love the man or you hate the man and he'll be remembered as President of the United States I think for the majority of people for all of the wrong reasons rather than being remembered for all of the right reasons. So it was terrific to see uh, the US President Joe Biden been sworn in yesterday. A man who was so proud of his Irish uh, roots. And of course, at 78, the big question is, will his health stand up? He will be 82 when he stands down as President of the United States. But by all accounts, he is in remarkably good health. He is has boundless ener- energy and he would need to have because he's taking on probably one of the most public demanding public roles in the world and his physician has come out and described him as healthy and vigorous in the medical reports that had to be conducted before he was sworn in uh, yesterday. Now it seems it's not just down to the luck of the Irish for his good health he has dedicated and been very consistent in maintaining fitness right throughout his lifetime. A key part of his regime according to Irish O'Regan in the Irish Independent today is he He lifts weights. He does several scores of bicep curls every day along with the rest and he works it into his schedule but he does a lot of exercise. He does five minutes on a rowing machine. He does half an hour on an exercise bike. He does 23 crunches and jumping jacks all during his daily workout and exercise has been built into his routine over a long time. He also by the way doesn't drink doesn't smoke. He's a keen golfer and he's often seen out cycling. It's described that his favourite drink is diet cola. He didn't and wouldn't have had a celebratory grass of champagne to mark the big day yesterday. And also, it is now unlikely when he does return to these shores and we know he will be returning to these shores, it is unlikely that there will be any photo opportunity of him with a pint of Guinness in his uh, hand. He is expected now that he's taken on this most demanding role. He's expected to now rely more on golf for outdoor exercise. And that's he'll follow the directly there from his good friend Barack Obama, who, when he was president of the United States of America, he said it was one of the only ways you could consistently get fresh air. So it looks like he will uh, take that, keep up the golf, but he will use golf more for his exercise. People have also remarked on his posture. And if you look at Joe Biden, he always, when he's standing or when he's sitting. He's got this wonderful posture about him and seemingly that's something as you age you need to be very aware of. You've got to be very aware that you don't slouch. And it's funny when I was reading about that earlier today, I straight away straightened up my back straight away because I know myself I slouch. I know when I'm writing, when I'm reading, when I'm you know when I'm sitting at my desk, I have to remember to sit up straight. So it's funny when you read something like that about how important it is to have good posture. Shoulders are back now, and I'm nice and straight. Uh, I don't know how long I'll hold this nice straight posture for her but I'll, I'll do my best. He enjoys ice cream and pasta but he does maintain portion control because he likes to keep a uh, track and a check on his weight. He is, talking of weight, he is six foot tall and he weighs 12 and a half stone so he's certainly not carrying around any excess uh, weight. Now he hasn't entirely escaped ill health and he has gone on has had a number of operations over the years. He had several non-melanoma skin cancers removed and it was in the late 1980s that he was operated on for brain aneurysm, which was probably his most serious operation. He's also known for his good humour and his relaxed uh, manner, even when he was taunted by uh, Donald Trump he managed to stay relaxed, and he always tried and did stay in good humor he's reported he, now he is reported to have had some nip and tuck work done on his face he 's also said to have had a hair transplant although neither of those have been confirmed by President Joe Biden himself. however, the key to his The president's personality, which really has stood to him, is found in a quote that he is he's often quoted and it's get up. The art of living is simply getting up after you've been knocked down. And please, God, he won't be knocked down during the next uh, four years. So we certainly wish a lot of luck to President Joe Biden. And i can already see Michael is in with a comment on the inauguration yesterday and more importantly, on the end of the Donald Trump era. Hi, Patricia. Goodbye. Farewell, Donald. The Donald Trump presidency got off the American trail from day one facts never mattered to Donald Trump institutions didn't matter whether they were domestic such as their electoral practice or international like the uh, in, uh, like NATO or other multilateral institutions they never really mattered to him not like they mattered before he got there America is a country that's built on the principle of democracy of the peaceful transfer of power on the back of extraordinary institutions which served the United States of America well in peace and in war with Republicans and Democrats in power. I feel certain that America will regain its trail immediately under the President Biden and Vice President Harris and be a proud nation once again. Having Biden and Harris will immediately change the dynamic. It was so moving to see the First Lady being sworn in, First Lady ever sworn in as Vice President of the United States of America and especially being a coloured lady. I would safely say that there was boxes of tissues used during the presidential inauguration and as I said before, the world fe- feels like they're in a much safer place now under President Biden and Vice President Harris. And that's from uh, Michael in Castletown Bear. And the actual inauguration, if you, I'm assuming most people did sit down to watch it uh, yesterday. I mean, Lady Gaga singing the national anthem was stunning. Garth. Brooks with His Amazing Grace, Jennifer Lopez, and they all looked stunning as well. But to me, the star of the show was when they announced that they had, for the first time ever, appointed a poet laureate to the presidency. And it was a young um, African, young girl of African extraction, who's, she said she came from her ancestry came out of slavery was raised by a single mother um, Amanda Gorman and she was stunning I mean she I think she will go down in history for the delivery of that poem that, that she wrote at the inauguration well done I think it isn't the last it's the first we've heard of Amanda Gorman but it certainly is not going to be the last yesterday morning while we were on air the news broke that the organisers of the St Patrick's Day Festival in Dublin uh, confirmed that there will be no Street Parade this year instead virtual events are going to be held and they're going to actually have a special online TV uh, channel and then yesterday afternoon Cork City Council came out and confirmed that this year's Cork's St Patrick's Day Parade will not take place Uh, the parade of course was also cancelled uh, last year However, Cork City Council say in a statement that planning is underway to ensure the occasion does not go unmarked but they're not going to have a St. Patrick's Day parade on the streets but they are going to plan a programme of different events which they say that they will aim to deliver safely over the days leading up to St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. The details of the activities will be announced over the coming weeks and I'm assuming that organisers of other St. Patrick's Day parades throughout the city and county are at this stage coming up and making similar decisions. So if anybody is involved in St. Patrick's Day parades and you're you're going to go with that decision not to run a parade this year, uh, we'll be only too glad to give it a mention uh, for you. And I know only last week when we were talking about St. Patrick's Day and I think it was in light of people were saying, you know, we know we're not going to come out of this lockdown on the 1st of February. Some listeners were saying we won't be out of it. We'll be lucky to be out of it. I think somebody said by St. Patrick's Day and then that led to somebody saying What about the trip to Washington? that the Irish Taoiseach makes every year and how important that is to Ireland. Will that be going ahead this year? And obviously, we've just been talking about the election of Joe Biden, who was very proud of his Irish roots. Well, a visit by the Taoiseach Micheál Martin to the White House is, I'm told, a key objective of the government's St. Patrick's Day uh, plans. Um, As Joe Biden was sworn in yesterday, it was revealed advanced planning is actually underway by government officials and diplomats to ensure that Mihol Martin can travel to Washington to meet with his counterpart in March. Under the plans being discussed, it'll be a small delegation will travel to Washington. They're also saying it will be a scaled back state visit to coincide with St. Patrick's Day. A government source said a meeting between Mihol Martin and And Joe Biden in the Oval Office is a key objective for those planning the international events uh, linked to our national holiday. There is a desire, they say, that the bilateral meeting between the Taoiseach and President Biden goes ahead as scheduled and detailed discussions. They're actually talking about it. They're, They're already planning it as we speak. Now, there are doubts over the famous, you know, the shamrock ceremony. Now that's always held in the East Room of the White House. They don't know if that's going to take place or not and consideration has been given to whether that event will take place. It's also unlikely that the other major events that are associated with that trip to Washington on St. Patrick's Day, the things like the Ireland Fund Dinner and the traditional function hosted by the Irish ambassador in the US, they're they're saying now that it's very unlikely that they will uh, go ahead. Uh, But it's Certainly, is looking like Micheal Martin will travel and have that bilateral agreement and that meeting in the Oval Office. And you know, it goes all over the world, and other countries are very jealous of the fact that once a year we, such a small nation, get to have this bilateral agreement, bilateral meeting every single year with the President of the of the United States. And obviously, in the doll yesterday, when Micheal Martin was no doubt congratulating President Biden on his inauguration. He did indicate that a visit by President Biden to Ireland uh, was very likely and he said we look forward to welcoming him to Ireland during the presidency. But in, van- in advance of him arriving in this country, it does look like Miho Martin will get to see him first by travelling over for the St. Patrick's Day, the traditional St. Patrick's Day ceremony. How that's going to sit with a lot of people, I don't know. I, d- I really don't know because I got the sense last week when someone was saying I suppose the St. Patrick's Day trip will be cancelled I got the sense from text that we got in around that comment that most people were saying of course it's going to be cancelled there's no way it's going to uh, go ahead well it looks like certainly uh, while I'm reading in the papers today it looks like it certainly is plans are certainly underway by government officials and uh, diplomats and now that Joe Biden and Joe Biden's people are certainly in. I imagine they'll be picking up on the planning and the arrangements for it uh, today. 1850 333 John Paul taking your calls um, straight away after getting a text in saying Micheál Martin should stay at home. Uh, God almighty he needs to show some respect to the Irish people. So I take it that that listener uh, certainly would be upset about the notion of our travelling. To Washington for St Patrick's Day, you can text to WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three.
1: Cork today on C one zero
4: three
2: with Sean Cusack. Insurances Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. C M I G
4: In recent days, we have had a number of calls in from people in the Glanworth area, frustrated and upset because they've been without water for several days. North Cork Fenafol Councillor Franco Flynn actually asked for a suspension. Of standing orders at last Monday's council meeting in an attempt to try to highlight the issue. And Councillor Franco Flynn joins me. Good morning to you,
5: Frank. Uh, Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, listeners.
4: We're living in the middle of a pandemic when hand washing is so important. This really isn't good enough. What are Irish Water saying to you?
5: Well, I've been in touch with Irish Water uh, last Sunday. I was talking to Senior Management and I was talking again on Monday and again this morning. And I made them fully aware and they're fully conscious of how serious the situation is. And as uh, your, your outline was there is the people of Granworth have suffered during the pandemic. And we have some people in the parish who have uh, health issues. We have farming, we have business. And you have people working from home. And we're encouraging people now to stay at home, shop local, work from home, stay within the five kilometres. And as you said, people, they need water. It's a necessity. Not, imagine older people and some of the, the housing estates now, the toilets are still upstairs. No, the new rigs now, they're downstairs, and no water whatsoever, and it is very, very difficult, and the people of Canberra have suffered for five long days, from Tuesday the 12th of January to last Saturday evening, the 16th of January at 8 o'clock. It's not good enough, and I've called in Irish water, I've discussed it. I want to thank the chairman of of the Northern Committee of Cock County Council, Ian Doyle, for allowing me to suspend standing orders last Monday. He said, Frank, I've heard about it as far away as Charlottesville, and Really and truly, we have suffered long and hard. Poverty. Well, we
4: heard, we, like there were some frontline workers living in uh, Glanworth saying that when they came home from work, I mean, the first thing they have to do is remove all their clothes, get them into the washing machine and then go and have a shower and with no water they couldn't have a shower I heard of another woman who said any time that they flushed the toilet her washing machine if her washing machine was on the washing machine would
5: stop that's true and we, did, and we still have some problems now because the water was out so long and people normally when it's a shop break and they use the, the small tanks and the larger tanks in the attic and so the hot water goes and it's because quite a lot of issues in relation to air locks and some of them we, I've told three houses even as late as this evening Patricia and they still have problems with that but it's an ongoing issue with six major breaks in in a two and a half kilometre.
4: Now, when Uh, we got on to Irish Water about it, they, they said, this was last week when we were getting the calls in from people, that they said it was due to the cold spell and burst pipes.
5: Well, I don't mind what's the cause of it, but six breaks in a two and a half kilometre supply line, a five-inch a five-inch pipeline coming from Dunman Reservoir into the village, six is too many. And whatever the cause of it is, I made uh, Irish Water, senior personnel, senior managers very aware of it. I also went to thank the senior manager, division manager James Fogarty of Naacock. Very seldom he even said it to me. I fully support Councillor Franco Flynn's stance. I know it from my staff, and I went to thank, especially of for all their help. He said, "I don't get involved in private companies." That's not the business of Cork County. But on this one, he says, I am taking it up. And he has also been in touch with me with Irish Water. And later this morning, I got a phone call from the senior manager. I said, uh, James Fogarty has been in touch with the senior management of Cork County Council in relation to water and also Irish Water. And I want to thank him for that. Five, six breaks, Four actually inside a famous Nunmahan quarry. We're very, very lucky because the pipe actually goes under the function. And the function is actually in flood at the moment. And there's something that Irish Water said to me this morning, Frank. It is a major issue. Some of the works will have to be done when the river is low. So it'll probably be this summer. They are very, very conscious of it. I made them fully aware of it. The time for talking about this now is time for action. And they've agreed with me. So the pipes
4: just need to be replaced. They're just old pipes.
5: It's an old pipe put there in the late 50s. Okay. And the early 60s, it's a five inch cement asbestos. Uh, it's the, the most popular pipe. There's over 5,000 kilometres of it actually in, uh, there's 5,000 kilometres of pipe network actually in Cock County. A thousand kilometres is actually still uh, asbestos cement pipes. It was the pipe of the day that was used. They're giving quite good service in a lot of areas, but it's actually breaking down in Ganbert. And it's, uh, while the distance is quite short, I ask for prioritisation to be given to this, provide emergency funding to ensure that this pipe network, it needs to be placed every place. Six breaks in five days is too many.
4: And, and I'm just looking at the weather forecast. I mean we, we, well, it was cold the, this morning We frost this morning but we have another bitterly cold night tonight. I take it everybody in Glamworth goes to bed holding their breath hoping that the pipe...
5: You can say that and that's one of the reasons... That's I would crazy. Thank, that's one of the reasons why we still have the water. The large water tank was taken away yesterday evening, but we have the other four the smaller tankers in place in Lambert and I want to thank and his staff for putting in place as a shot um, over a shot there was a problem with Covid could you do it could you not do it but we had to take a decision last Thursday evening to put in the water tankers that was a tremendous and it was very very helpful but you can imagine parents with young babies young children children now at home you have toilets, you have people with underlying health issues, you have uh, frontline workers, you have people working t- t- now 12, 14, 24 hours. The last thing they want when they come home is no water.
4: And we heard of somebody who couldn't turn on their heating when there was no water well, because they rely on a back boiler.
5: A lot of our housing still had back boilers. I was over it without water myself. I can't turn on my heating because of a back boiler. Uh, a lot of people, uh, um, even some people were actually afraid with their water gone very low, Patricia, in the ceiling. In, in the tanks in the ceiling, so you'd no washing machine, you'd no dishwasher, you'd no it's hot just water. It's just not good
4: enough. It really is just is just not good enough. And even when they have water, is it true there's an issue with low low pressure?
5: There is yeah. There's quite a lot of issues in the in Landmark and also in Betty which we'll probably cover shortly, uh, with low pressure in some outlying areas. Because there is a growth in the number of houses in the village, which is welcome, but also is there's a lot of issues uh, in relation to also now with airlocks. Since the water was out for the four or five days, a lot of houses, especially upstairs, they have major issues. And I said quite a lot of the toilets in the old council houses are actually still upstairs. And all the people in this day and age, it's not right that they haven't got toilet facilities or washing or hot water.
4: So do you know, have, uh, has Irish Water any future plans in the not too distant future to replace all the pipes in Glamour's? Well,
5: I've impressed upon them. They are taking it on board. They're, they're, I made them fully aware of it. They are at a discussion, actually, with senior management, actually, on, on on Monday morning. There was senior staff from Cock County Council on site looking at the situation in the quarry in Dunman, So that's how quick and how they've actually got on site and i impressed upon them. I was actually talking to one of the senior managers in Irish Water as on Sunday during the day and he came back to being in Sunday evening. He says, Frank, this is something we have to deal with and I have no doubt and I'll keep under pressure until this is rectified and I have no doubt my talking this morning, with have seen a mention County Council well and Irish Water. Definitely okay, will and, get this done.
4: and and you also need to have a word on behalf of the, the villages of Ballyhooley and, and Killavullen. They seem to be almost as bad.
5: Well, Killavullen uh, and, and and more so, I I, I say uh, Ballyhooley They've suffered a lot. Two years ago, did major issues. There's a, a massive growth in the number of houses in in, in Ballyhooley, which of course is welcome as well as we have a big housing need. With uh, a major break this day last uh, last Friday. Uh, down below the village. We did another one on uh, Tuesday uh, in the morning, and uh, that was in Corrobrian Cross. Uh, the water supply in uh, comes from the tower in Keston which is in Bellinvoher. There is a problem with the pipe network coming down. It's actually a smaller pipe. We did put in a booster pump there two years ago, which helped it, but there is quite a number of breaks. And the biggest issue uh, in Bellihooley outside of the Tube is low water pressure with very, very low water pressure. And quite a lot of the houses, they have showers and they have um, baths and they're uh, upstairs. And it's not no water to the vast majority of houses in and the ongoing system and again I've raised it this morning with uh, Irish waters the ongoing system in belly and surrounding areas with very very low water pressure over a number of years that is something that we have to get affected right
4: about. OK all right uh, we'll return no doubt to this uh, issue but fingers crossed for the people of Glamworth with the their cold spell tonight that, uh, that none of the pipes uh, burst listen Frank thank you for that uh, thank you for the chat. thanks for joining us uh, good morning to you that is Fianna Fáil North Cork Councillor uh, Frank O'Flame number of texts in on the idea of a visit by the Taoiseach Micheál Martin to the White House. It seemingly it's a key objective for the government for their St. Patrick's Day plan. Listener simply says that's not on. Well someone says if Mihol Martin can travel then surely it's one rule for them and one rule for us it is a waste of time making speeches on the TV people won't listen anymore if he's seen to be travelling outside the 5 kilometres. Martin says this is rotten to the core I'm really upset about this there's a long year there in which he could pay a visit to the United States we all have to stay away from our friends and uh, family the time now is for the Taoiseach to show real uh, leadership and John says Micheál Martin would be better off staying at home this year and listening to the advice from Neffet. He and the government are the, are the cause of where we are today. We're all like fools because of bad decisions made by the government and not listening to the advice of uh, Neffet. That's some of your commentary coming in by text to 0862 103 103.
1: Cork Today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's
2: as Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Katrina
4: Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners says this third lock Lockdown is presenting even more challenges than the first two as the number of people seeking help continues to rise. And, and I say, Katrina Toomey takes time out to join us this morning. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. Are you seeing an increase in a number of people coming to you for the first time, for perhaps, that they never would have come to you before?
6: Yes, we are. And we saw all that, like, since last March. but much, much more now this third lockdown. You know, there's a lot more people coming and there's a lot more suffering out there, I suppose, and uncertainty. So, and, you know, people that may have had to shut down in the first lockdown and came back out and opened up again, small businesses. Like, this is the third time now and now they they just can't do it again. So they know they've hit, hit the wall and they've had to make a decision and just call it a day for themselves so that they can survive in some way.
4: So it's not just people who've lost their jobs, you're talking about people who've lost their businesses, they've completely lost their livelihoods.
6: Exactly. Like, they've lost their dreams. You you know, your business is your dream, your home is your dream. You know, losing a home, you know, uh, when you're suffering in a mortgage and then losing your business, you know, that can be fairly difficult. And some people now that have had that dream, you know, maybe their homes are threatened now as well. They face a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear. And there's going to be, uh, you know, a massive salvage operation with the small businesses closing for themselves to try and straighten things out.
4: Do some people find it very hard to knock on your door, uh, Katrina, and ask for help?
6: They do. And even when they make the phone call, you know, you can tell they want to say something and then it takes a while. And then when they start to gushes out the wrong way, you know, for them. And they just kind of... can you know, lose it a small bit because they'll be emotional. They're upset at losing their business. They're upset at not having any income. They're upset for themselves, for their families, for their employees. They're upset for everyone. So, it, and then, you you, you know, you just tell them, well, look, we'll help you food-wise, et cetera. and, uh, you know, and, if, and uh, there are other ways we'll step in there too and we'll just tell them, you know, it, it's a storm and a big storm you know, and to try and write it the best way they can and pay the, the roof over their heads.
4: And that's, and the, therein lies the problem. There, Whatever money is coming into the house and we know that the pandemic payments are higher than some other yeah. social welfare payments, but it simply isn't enough.
6: No, it isn't enough because it's just, look, people were paying their bills, you know, when they were working or when they had a the business, they were paying their bills, they were doing their bit, had their house, their rent, their mortgage, had their car, whatever, and would have the family holiday probably every year or something like that. Now all that's taken away from them. It's not just, oh, your job is gone, your business is gone, and you can continue as normal because you don't have that income to continue with. So straight away, you're met with a crisis. Like, what do I pay? What do I prioritize? Which is going to come at me first for, you know, what I owe and stuff like that. So it's very, very difficult Nobody saw this coming. Nobody expected it. So we were never prepared for it in that way. But um, I think the the opening and closing of small businesses has definitely wreaked havoc amongst them.
4: Yeah. And as you say, nobody saw it coming. And even if even for business people or even just normal households, if they had a bit of savings, because of the opening and closing, the opening and closing, and you were in work one week and then you were gone again, whatever bit of savings you have, I I, I think that could be one of the reasons why it's on this, the third lockdown that you're seeing such an increase. Whatever bit of reserves you had completely gone.
6: And remember when they opened up, they had to go completely um, COVID-19 compliant, you know, so they were putting that cost cost quite a lot of money for, for all those businesses as well, and you know, all the stuff that they had to buy to be compliant and they did all that, thinking that, okay, you know, we're over it, we're opened up and we're back out there again and now into our, you know, our third lockdown. like It's it's really, it's, it's a no-comeback situation for a lot of them. They
4: just and is it. the uncertainty, Katrina, of not knowing when this lockdown will end, is that only adding to people's worries? Do
6: you know what? Like, you know, you're hearing that the the, the students, the, the the students with special needs, were supposed to go back to school this week. Do you know what we all have to look at here? Whose lives are more important? All lives are important, do you know. And putting like one person at risk is, is just, you know, who can say it's safe for children to go back to school? Who can say it's safe for people to go back to work when they're telling others stay at home, do not come out, and those that can work at home? work at home and, and stuff. So there's mixed messages out there that are actually very confusing to an awful lot of people. But in the meantime and I would stress, you know, that a lot of people are told stay in their homes. The elderly are afraid to come out of their homes. Loads of people are afraid to come out of their homes. And they're staying inside. And then they stay when their children are home from school. But they have to heat the home extra and that's even eating into people's budgets as well. Because even though some of them may be on the COVID payment, it's not what they were earning. So there are reduced circumstances all round for everybody. So we have to look at that. And I would urge the government, you know, to, to give something extra to tie people over the, the cold snap and, and to also look at, we have, like, the council here have been very good in putting up a lot of people. And um, there's just a small few rough sleepers left. And I would just ask them, you know, the, the powers that be to look into this, during this cold snap and get them off the streets as well. We don't want to be finding somebody dead in the bench or dead, you know, anywhere at, at all. Like, you know, in these cold, miserable,
4: it, it's freezing it's bitter cold it is it, is. it was bitter, to be all, it was bitter last days. night and I was just talking about the weather forecast for tonight is is bad as well I'm assuming you watched the primetime programme on homelessness the, the other night do you I know did. the one thing that stood out for me and, and I have to say when I was in work the following day I got a number of texts and calls in about it the number of people who find themselves homeless through no fault of their own you know be it a family breakdown losing a job getting evicted f- from their houses and they end up then sleeping rough on the street and they fall into addiction it was stark the number of people that that happens to
6: Yeah and we keep saying that all the time you know a lot of people think that addiction takes them to the streets and that can be the case for many in addiction but for a lot of people that are on the streets through no fault of their own um, they can end up in addiction you know just to numb the pain like it's if you look at it, like, having to walk the streets, pound the streets all day, and you have to walk in this weather to keep warm, like, there's no place to go and sit down. You know, before the pandemic, you could go into a shopping centre, you could go into the library, you could get in and get some heat someplace. But now they haven't had heat by day, now by night. And the temperatures are really dropping by night. You know, I'm very, very cold. So it is it's a miserable, awful existence for anybody. So there are issues loads of issues and we know that and we keep saying that but look just just get them in out of the cold for now and we can all help to look at the issues and we, we have solutions we just wish people would listen to us I suppose okay. and take our solutions on board yeah, because yeah. it's just like putting plaster you know on a wound that needs stitches and um, it's not working so again we would say like, let's stop this put putting into it you know, they're human beings at the end of the day. People are giving up warnings about not leaving their animals out in the cold. And we have human beings being left out there. Who's giving a warning about the human being that's out in the cold?
4: You know? And and in the meantime, anyone listening struggling, uh Katrina, I mean I just hate to think of anybody going hungry, but that's that's the reality. is, is it food passes you give out? How how are you helping you, people?
6: Look, we give out very good food parcels, okay. like, you know, and they have all the basics in it for a week, you know, and to kind of keep them going. And uh, we give out the dinners, you know, and it's a beautiful meal, a full course meal. The chefs are fantastic, and then we give a pack lunch for an evening meal as well. So we try to, and then in the night, and then the lads go out. <laughs> excuse me, or ourselves, and um, we make sure that everybody's alright around the city. And you know, we're looking at the rather than the young people, like with no hope at
4: all. Well that was the one thing watching that programme the other night, the age yeah. group they were so young, uh, uh, many of them and on, on a practical level, the workings of Cork Penny Dinners, um, Katrina, I mean I'm assuming your volunteer numbers will be affected because of the pandemic?
6: We've been affected since March and we have just the core team in since March and we're we're doing this and keeping it to the core team, to you know, because we have to have the numbers down and I, I'd have to say that, like, what they do is you know, from six o'clock in the morning until late at night. It's just incredible. They never complain. They get on with it. They do the work. It's just, and we we all do it together, like, you know, and and it's just lovely to have a a team that are as dedicated, I suppose, as what I am myself. And they are. They truly are. They're incredible.
4: And funding, how are you going? Do you get government funding?
6: No, we don't. We don't get any from the government. In fact, I don't think they even listen to us. <laughs> I wish if we got a name from the government and they listened to us, we'd be happy with that because we do have solutions. And, you know, look, when when you look at the government, we have experience because we're on the ground, we're front line. Like, if you listen to somebody on the front line and take you know, their recommendations on board, you come to a solution much quicker. That will cost the government less money yeah. in the you see what's than yeah. the
4: money people, yeah. You know, but to do stuff. So people can you know. can donate to your dinners dot ie, and I know the good people of Cork have always been so kind and so generous they're, to you. They're, they're just they're amazing. They, yeah, they have
6: no idea. And the way they rallied round us for Christmas to get was, everybody to was great because they knew that we were. We were stretched, we were really very tired and we kept on going and they just rallied around like, oh, from everywhere, you know, from the city, from the county, you know, all over, it was just... I suppose one of
4: those miracles that happens every year. Patricia. Well, it, it just shows the res- it shows as well the respect level that people have for an organisation like Cork uh, Penny Dinners, and, and and you're at the helm of it for sure. Listen, uh, stay safe and continue. Good luck with your great work, and we'll speak again, Katrina. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks, Good morning, to you. What a great lady that is, uh, Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: Still getting a lot of commentary in about an issue that dominated the programme yesterday and that was that the special needs schools that were due to reopen today, partially reopened today, didn't uh, reopen and there was very much uh, recriminations and it wasn't just on this radio programme, it was on every radio programme all over the country. It seemed to be pitting the teachers and the SNAs against the general population. A lot of the teachers uh, and SNAs took great offence and were very upset by some of the commentary that were coming in. Likewise, you had parents uh, who were very upset we're reading in the papers today, there are fresh efforts underway to try to get a partial reopening of schools uh, back on uh, track. As uh, talks are continuing, the government may offer to test all the teachers and all of the special needs assistance. They're saying this might be a way to open up the schools. It seems some of the union chiefs had asked that all children and staff in special needs schools be tested for COVID-19. Now I know the Department of Education uh, were saying that the test would just be too invasive for children with uh, special needs but it looks like a compromise could be that the staff would get tested. Now whether they would get tested on a weekly basis or twice a month I don't know but it it is something at least that is on the table and of course at the heart of the union's opposition they say it's fear among their members of returning at a time of high levels of uh, COVID-19 but of course the news came that the schools were not going to reopen and it was, you know, just described as another cruel blow to families who really, really are uh, struggling. But a lot of people were saying that the decisions were made too quickly and that there wasn't enough negotiation going on. And I know yesterday when we were talking about it, you know, the point about adult disability day services, they have remained open during this uh, lockdown and there's a really good piece in today's exam a good comment piece written by uh, Jess Casey who's talking about the disability services remaining open and she says that the difference here is for the adult services a framework was agreed upon last May it wasn't rushed into she also makes the point that it wasn't played out in the media So the plans included a level of flexibility based on individual needs of the person accessing the service same flexibility she feels was not included in plans to reopen schools Schools, uh, uh, which focused on a return to in-person learning. Principals were essentially given five days to sort out staffing, boards of management meetings, discussions with parents for arrangements basically contingent on the agreement of the unions all on top of running their schools remotely. So there was just, I suppose, too much to ask of the schools uh, themselves. But that argument is still going on and we are still getting in uh, commentary from it. As I say, teachers took grave offence to some of the comments that came into the programme yesterday and I literally was just I was trying to be a conduit. I was trying to read out what was coming in on both sides of the fence. I had teachers saying I shouldn't be reading them out. I had parents thanking me for reading them out and being their voice so you know it was kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. But then yesterday evening I got uh, a note from a teacher saying, dear Patricia, I was saddened to hear of the bashing of teachers and schools on your show yesterday as a teacher myself. We had no no say in what happened, Norma Foley, Minister for Education, made an announcement on Friday night and did not communicate any of this with the schools. It is a sad day for all The children's return to school in the safest environment is a top priority. Please be aware, most schools were frantically getting set up for Thursday and were working and communicating all weekend and in the lead up to thur- in the lead up to Thursday and then we were completely blindsided by the announcement on Friday night by Minister Norma Foley. I know teacher bashing is easy, but rest assured, this was all out of our hands. We are prepared to open talks. Please remember, we're like everybody else. We're anxious, we're nervous. And the constant negativity as we work tirelessly at home, like all other professions during this pandemic, can make anyone not want to continue on through these hard times. If we can't be anything in this world, or if we choose to be anything in this world, Please be kind and say nice words. Please be kind and leave the teachers and the staff of schools alone. We're doing our best and rest assured we are working extremely hard while homeschooling and raising our own children, thanking you. I'm also hoping for a speedy opening of schools as soon as the Education Minister, Norma Foley, communicates everything uh, properly. And as I say, there was a lot of outpouring of negativity yesterday towards teachers, And certainly a lot of it came from families of special needs children who are literally broken. And, you know, and I don't say that word easily or lightly, but I've heard from parents who literally are broken, people who weren't even capable of speaking to us. They were saying they could not even put words on how they were feeling. And for many of them, they simply can't take any more. I mean, many have struggled on in the hopes that the schools would be reopened and then Three times special needs families had a date where they believed, well, I'll keep going to that date, I'll keep going to that date. And then it was just so cruelly taken away uh, from them. And I think that's why this latest decision not to open the schools today, I think, as I say, just seemed to have broken uh, so many people. And everybody accepts that teachers and SNAs are marvellous. Everyone will agree with that. But that's why parents want them back in the classroom doing what they do best which is teaching and caring for the nation's children and doing it in a classroom setting. So, you know, just as I say, a lot of the teachers seemed to be very sensitive yesterday about some of the comments that were coming in. And it wasn't that people were picking on teachers. They just wanted to have their voice heard as well. And then in the midst of it yesterday, we had somebody who drives a special needs bus. And he was saying, nobody's mentioning transport, nobody's mentioning us, there's no social distancing going on in taxis or buses and this gentleman was nervous about the idea of special needs schools reopening. Well, Margaret said, with reference to that gentleman who's the driver of special needs children, can I just point out a couple of things to him? One, you're not legally bound to return to driving special needs children. Two, there are an amount of There are an amount of taxi and minibus drivers who will willingly take over your position. OK, they will need guarded clearance, etc. Three, parents like myself would not be happy to have a driver who is so uncomfortable in the company of, of our special needs children. And four, some of us, parents are very happy to drive our children ourselves. And finally, I've noticed you didn't disclose your name to that gentleman who sent in that text yesterday. Thanking you. That is from... Uh, Margaret. And then Hi Patricia, I'm from West Cork. I can't understand the government. They want people to stay at home and yet again they want our children to go back to uh, school. It's either one or the other. You're either at home or you go out and get the virus. We have, we are as a family are obeying all of the guidelines and we're staying at home. I homeschool my children from the Seesaw app. It's hard but I know my children are safe. It's either stay safe and stay at home. Uh, we would like clarity on this please 1850 as I say just a sample of some of the comments still coming in on that particular issue and then there was a number of people reacting to the wonderful Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners speaking to us about what it is like what this third lockdown how this third lockdown is breaking as we're using that word, is just breaking some uh, people and how difficult it is for people who are finding themselves in food poverty to pick up the phone and to contact somebody like uh, Cork Penny Dinners who are just such a marvellous, marvellous organisation. Anne says, Patricia, did you hear that somebody was putting an empty coffee cup into the bin and they found somebody sleeping in the bin? And that's exactly the people that... Katrina from Cork Penny Dinners are talking about you yeah, and that was an incident that happened here in Cork. It was the some of the protesters of the Debenhams uh, workers they found a homeless man sleeping and you know one of the large commercial wheelie bins the big rubbish uh, bins the man it seems he normally sleeps in a tent in a doorway of the Debenhams store but he climbed into one of the big green bins because the particular night there was driving sleet and rain it was Tuesday night of last week so he climbed into the bin And one of the Debenhams workers had obviously got a takeaway cup of coffee and they were, two of them were disposing of their coffee cups and one lifted up the lid to throw the cups in and got a real fright to find uh, somebody they could see somebody inside in, in the bin now they didn't realise initially that the man was even asleep and I suppose they were terrified that you know that had he passed away or, or whatever now they called a workman who was passing by who took a look and said no the man is just asleep but then they were saying they, they were they put a warning out and the reason that they told the story is that they want other shop owners and companies to be vigilant because they were afraid that one if the bin man came and, and emptied it and, and the man was killed but yeah that's the reality and that happened in City. City just last week. So that's exactly when Katrina Toomey, when we went off the subject of family struggling, but when she spoke about the rough sleepers that are still there. And then there are a number of people tying in us talking about cork penny dinners and how they're struggling. And, you know, relying on donations from the public, tying that in with the announcement that was made yesterday by RTE, showing the fees, the wages that their top 10 earners get. And people I like can say, not that happy. Tim and you says, I wish you pleased to read out this comment on your show with regards to Cork Penny Dinners. Isn't it ironic? Current news regarding radio and TV announcers in receipt of salaries of €9,000 per weak and ordinary people, members of the general public can't afford to buy dinners for themselves or for their uh, children and yet they're the same people like all of us that have to pay a television licence which pays towards those outrageous salaries. It's immoral and outrageous. It highlights the greed and hypocrisy of those people who regularly comment on radio in respect of these unfortunate people who now have to use the likes of penny dinners and are glad to do so. That's from Tim in Yaw. And John says, Patricia, did you see how much our poor TV presenters are getting per year? They are like the politicians now. You wouldn't be in much of a hurry, would you, to rush out and buy your TV licence? John, you have to buy your TV licence or you'll be breaking the law, hon. Anyway, we are bigger fools, he says, to be taken in by all of this. It's the same as voting for some of the people that are running this country. Are the general public afraid to speak out about these fools? I can't see why this country can't be run like a business with competent people at the wheel. I feel politics needs to go ASAP. And then someone else tying in with the fact of what we're talking about with Cork uh, Penny Dinners. It says, Patricia, the government gave money to feed expensive pets in captivity in Dublin Zoo and in Photo Wildlife Park here in Cork. Why don't the likes of Cork Penny Dinner, why didn't they get that kind of money? Something is badly wrong. The government has no problem letting in immigrants and feeding them and using our housing to shelter them and our are starving on the streets and another listener says what about the man in charge of the Department of Health getting the 81 thousand euro of a pay rise not 81 thousand euro a year will be a nice wage on its own and this is the story of what's the gentleman's name Robert Watt he has moved to the Department of Health. he's become the Secretary General of the Department of Health it was advertised the job was advertised with a salary of 292,000 and he had been already on a salary of 211,000 because I think he was Secretary General of another department anyway he's coming out with just under 300,000 and it does mean that listener is right it does mean his wage increases goes up by 81,000 euro a year as I say if you were to get a job with 81,000 euro you'd have thought all your birthdays had come together but you suddenly realise this is this gentleman's pay increase. Now the government, a government minister has said, this is the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris, he said that the Cabinet didn't decide on this extra pay rise and he said that there was no government memo setting out the pay rise, bringing his salary to nearly 300000 I mean, obviously opposition are describing the pay rise as exce- as, ex- as excessive. A government spokesperson this week said the cabinet were informed that the process of the role was about to begin and because of high, complex and challenging nature of the role, it would attract improved terms. But then the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform, they say that Minister Michael McGrath had responsibility for signing off on the salary and that it was agreed with the Taoiseach Mihol Martin and the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly and the Secretary-General uh, to the government, Martin Fraser. So it wasn't that he got the pay rise and nobody knew about it, but according to Simon Harris, a memo never came before, before government and he said that there wasn't, there wasn't a cabinet decision to give an extra 81,000 euro. It just seems, I think, in the times we're living in, I just think those kind of wage increases just seem so excessive. Uh, indeed. 1850 three three three103 Somebody says this is on Mihol Martin and the talk of him going over to see Joe Biden for St. Patrick's Day. Surely Tony Houlihan should be the one advising Mihol Martin to stay at home until all of the restrictions are uh, eased. Uh, Eddie Inovin suggests Mihol Martin should go and should uh, stay. Somebody else wants to know how many other people would travel with uh, Mihol Martin. Could they not wait and do do it next a year. And this person is wondering, will Mihal Martin open up travel next week? No. I mean the all indications are that we, it's the first of February, level five restrictions are meant to be used, but all indications are that they're going to go well into February. And I even read uh, something earlier on today that it could, they could go well into March. I imagine it's going to be after St. Patrick's Day, I think, uh, before we see the um, restrictions being lifted. 1850 333 103. John Paul, taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103
1: 103. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale,
2: now part of McConnell. At the insurance group want great advice. You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie.
4: While the rollout of COVID nineteen vaccinations continues across the country for frontline workers and those who are in residential settings, family carers are continuing to question why they are not being prioritised for the vaccination. Catherine Cox, of Family Carers Ireland, uh, joins me. Good morning, to you, Catherine. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, And you're, you're very welcome. Now, at this stage, when do you believe family carers are due to get the vaccine? When you look at the sequencing of all the different groups and how the rollout is planned?
7: Well, I suppose if we look at the sequencing, when we saw it first, family carers are not mentioned in any categories. Um, So we had written to the task force before the list came out. We had written to the minister and said how important it was that family carers would be um, included as a priority. So reading the list as it stands, it looks like family carers are not included anywhere. So we have lobbied, we have written to the minister, we have, I suppose, lobbied local uh, political representatives as well. And in the last few days, we have been told that Family carers may now sit under category six, which is key workers. Um, now, if that is the case, and um, I suppose the correspondence we got from the HSE clinical advisor said family carers are likely to be included in category six now are likely and are definitely two very different things yeah and there's definite confusion there um so we have yet again written back to the minister and said can you clarify that family carers are definitely included in category six and by the way we would have uh, argued they should have been included in categories one or two because they like frontline workers are providing full-time care and intensive high levels of care uh, to family members in their own home and they're keeping them safe. They're suppressing the virus in their home. But the family carer themselves has to be protected because the biggest fear is they will bring the virus into the home, give it to the person they're caring for or the family care themselves will get the virus and not be able to care so well we only only
4: only yesterday and and I'll talk to you about it in a minute. we were talking about the the special needs schools not opening mm-hmm. uh or the schools for special needs kids not opening today, and we had a, we had a dad on you know talking about the situation in his house where he was talking about his wife has just become so unwell like he described her as being broken yesterday I mean it was just heartbreaking to listen to this man, but he was. We touched on, on vaccine with him and he said one of their big fears is if he or his wife gets COVID and say became very unwell, like who would look after their, their two children who are special needs. Or he said worse, if one of the kids got it and ended exactly. up in hospital and you're not allowed in with them. You know, there's... I know. And like, I think family carers have enough to be worrying about without this added pressure.
7: Absolutely. I mean, it makes... It, to us, it makes no sense either morally but financially as well, because as you said, if the carer gets it or is out of action, the state will have to take care of the person they're caring for. The cost of that will be huge, not to mention the distress, the upset you know, the the panic and the emergency. What will happen in those situations? Is somebody going to come into the home and look after a child or an adult, for example, with autism or, you know, profound uh, needs? So so really for us, it made such sense. Um, and also it's about recognition as well of the work that family carers do, acknowledging and recognising that they are frontline workers. They are caring for people at home. In fact, of older people are actually cared for at home, not in nursing homes or institutional care. So 95% of care of older people is in the home, yet the people that provide that care are not deemed as um, priority. It, it makes no sense.
4: And is there any talk of when the person who's being cared for, because as you say, the majority of them are older people and when it, we start rolling it out into the community, we know it's going to be the over 85s, uh, the over 80s, the over 75s, so it will be the older generation out in the community will be the first to get the vaccine. Is there any talks that when the person being cared for gets the vaccine, that the carer will get it at the same time? You know like what they do, they almost do it like in a bubble when for the flu vaccine? Mm.
7: Absolutely. And again, that's the argument we've put forward. That's what they're doing. In fact, in the UK and Scotland, carers, family carers have been prioritised as a group that would get it. But it would make absolute sense for when the carer, for example, is bringing the person they're caring in for the vaccination, whether it's to their GP or whether it's to a a centre. Surely, the vaccination will be provided to the family carer at the same time. But that is not clear. And family carers are calling their local GPs. They are as confused because it hasn't been clarified. So I suppose what we're really saying to the minister, we really need clarification. Tell us where family carers are are on this priority list. And please tell us they are on it in the first place. Um, And they need to get this vaccination as soon as possible.
4: And the other group that we constantly hear from on the programme, uh, Catherine, are Home Helps. Um, and we have some families now that are concerned about the Home Helps coming in to mm. their homes because they're not vaccinated yet.
7: They're not. But um, the news that's come out there now this morning looks like uh, they will be vaccinated as the second group. Um, so Category 2. So Home help. Um, both working for the HSC, but also working for private organisations or voluntary organisations. So it looks like they will be part of the second wave that will be getting it. So, you know, they're getting it again, ahead of family carers. They should be getting it at the same time. Family mm-hmm. carers should be getting it with the home care workers. So now it means a home care worker may come in and they will be vaccinated. But the family carer in the home is not, you know, so it... Um, it's not it, making it, any it, sense.
4: It, it really isn't. OK, really and isn't. then the other issue that we ended up talking about yesterday and we were hoping to talk with you and then you got caught into a meeting with um, the Minister of State, uh, Joseph Madigan. The parents of children with special needs are just, I, I, I can't even at times put into words some of the stories that we are hearing, uh, Catherine. And I think the, the most cruel part of this lockdown has been they had, I think, three different dates where they thought their children were going back to school and every single time it was taken from them.
7: Yeah, I mean, it has actually, it's been like a roller coaster for those parents. And um, You know, it's gone from elation that their children are actually getting back, they've told their children they're getting ready, and then pure distress, distraught, i say frustration, anger, every possible emotion, because they literally, uh, there's been U-turns, and, you know, it's it's difficult to even say who's to blame here now anymore, but the, the real problem is the ones that are suffering the most are the parents and the children who should be at the centre of this. Um, and I know we've met with, we met actually both ministers yesterday, Minister Foley and Minister Madigan. And again, they have stressed they absolutely want to get children back into the schools. Um, the unions are saying they want to get, you know, their People, their staff, their SMAs, their teachers back into the schools. So what we're seeing is they need to sit down together again and work this out. Because at the end of the day, as I said, the people suffering are the children. They're losing their education. They're losing life skills. Like, you know, school is more than about the education for some of these children. It's about teaching them life skills. Parents are telling us their child can no longer, is no longer toilet trained. They can no longer feed themselves. They're watching them regress before their eyes. So this is crucial that we get these children, but that we get them back in safely and that it is safe for the teachers, it is safe for the SMAs, and it is safe for the children to go back into school. And the advice coming from NPHET is it is safe, Now, nothing is 100% safe, as we know, in this pandemic. But the unions, the the government, everybody needs now to just work together and get this done so that we get these kids back into school.
4: And then generally speaking, when you, as we go through this lockdown, and we know it is certainly going to go on well into February, some people speculating it could go on uh, well into March. What are you hearing from family carers, uh, Catherine, as to how they're getting on in yet another lockdown?
7: Look, they they are definitely struggling. I think they're struggling emotionally in particular and mentally because they've lost most of their respite. Um, they've lost services and supports like behavioural therapies, physiotherapy, speech and language therapy, particularly where they're caring for children. So it is extremely difficult. And I think what makes it worse is the fact that they're not getting recognised for what they do and things like not including them on the vaccination list it's just another example of no recognition really for what family carers do. You know, they weren't included for PPE, they weren't included for priority testing, and now they're not on priority list for vaccination. So on top of everything they do, caring 24-7, keeping their loved ones safe, it adds insult to injury when they don't get that recognition and they don't get prioritised for the vaccination and the likes of that. So These are really difficult days, and they're difficult days for everybody right across society. And we we know that and we recognize that. But I suppose, you know, for people who are caring, either for children, adults, older people with a disability, those family carers have that added challenges and those added concerns now that they're in lockdown, that they don't have the support maybe of the wider family and the community that they might have had beforehand. So these are difficult days and Family cares aren't we, we've set up a hardship fund where we are financially supporting some carers who are really in difficult financial distress. And you know, we've been doing that for the last few months. It's a limited budget, but we help when we can and we have our free phone care line which is one eight hundred twenty four oh seven twenty four. And people can call us and talk to us and sometimes a listening ear is you know very helpful yeah sometimes
4: that really helps yeah yeah absolutely okay listen uh, Catherine as always continue good luck with the work that you're doing on behalf of Family Carers and we thank you for joining us on the programme this morning thanks so much good morning to you bye bye Catherine Cox of uh, Family Carers Ireland Uh, Audrey says hi Patricia as a special education needs teacher myself and a mother of two children with special needs I've been deeply hurt and upset by the bad press teachers are getting at the moment I don't believe now was the right time to open uh, schools uh, but I was willing to go back for the sake of the children that I teach my boys special schools were only going to go back every second day which wasn't going to make which was going to make things very difficult for me as I was willing to go every argument has two sides that's from uh, Audrey Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. 333 John Paul taking your course so you can text her whatsapp 0862 103 103.
1: Cork Today on C103
2: with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie. Cork Today on C103.
4: Call Patricia with your comment. 1850
1: 333
4: 103. And I want to stay on the subject of the special needs uh, schools not opening uh, today because I want to go to the phone lines uh, where uh, Audrey in Whelan joins me. Good morning to Audrey. Hi Patricia. Oh, how are I'm you? very well. And you're actually the teacher who contacts us. You're a teacher in special ed, and yes. you also have two children who are uh, special needs. So yes. you're you're really looking at this from both sides.
8: I can see both sides of the argument. I can, um, and it's I can see why why families are struggling. I, I it's hard to have one child with special needs. I have two. Um, they attend the Holy Family School in Charlville, and they are absolutely fantastic. The staff, the SMAs, the principal, you couldn't ask for anything more. I'm a special ed teacher in a mainstream school, um, and okay. so I would be taking out, I have 12, 12 children in my co- caseload. But I can see the two sides of the argument. But I have to say, and I don't think parents realise this, we as SETs and SMAs were uh, uh, invited to attend a webinar. On Monday afternoon, just gone, it was it was to be an hour long, starting at half past three, yeah. and we had to register online to take part. Now this webinar was going to be on through Zoom, and we had to, I was going logging in at say quarter past three, and I was told that the maximum of five thousand had been reached, so I couldn't access it. But then I was sent a link for YouTube by a fellow SAT teacher that we could watch it on YouTube. So there were 5,000 watching it, say, on Zoom, and there was up to 11,000, or a little bit over 11,000 watching it on um, YouTube. And Dr. Ronan Glynn was one of the speakers, the assistant CMO. Yeah. And we were told the aim of that webinar was to give us advice about how to open schools safely in the current climate, taking into account COVID plus the new strains. And we were all, that many were attending, all preparing to go back. I was more than willing to go back to my own school today. I had contacted parents of the kids we were to take in that morning, and every parent I contacted said, yes, I will be sending my child back. It was all very positive. Come halfway through that webinar, Ronan Glenn is speaking to us about the, the safety uh, precautions to take. And then, out of nowhere he said to us it was a priority for the government to have schools open because children need access to their education. But now is not the time to open schools. Not yet.
4: Roland Glynn Glynn said that.
8: Yeah, it's on. I I have shared the link to that video on my own Facebook page. It's been shared on the Special Education Teachers Facebook page. I was in shock. My phone on WhatsApp started blowing up because uh, all the other teachers in my school were watching. My sister who's an teacher was watching. My other sister who's an assistant uh, vice principal in the school was watching. And we were all messaging each other saying, has he actually just told us that schools should not open? And And we're watching the webinar about opening safely.
4: And do you believe he made that statement because it's a very different environment now to what it was when schools reopened in September? We didn't have the UK strain, and we didn't have the figures of COVID in the community. Do you think that was his thinking?
8: I think that was his main point. The he mentioned community transmission. Like, you can look up the, the, trans, the transmission in your own area online by looking up, you can look it up by electoral area. The electrical area for our, the numbers for our electoral area are huge at the moment. Like, I don't take my boys absolutely anywhere. They don't go to town. They don't, like, we can, we, we're lucky we're living on a farm. We can go to the yard. We can walk any of the passageways around the land. That's our days out. But I could see where he was coming I could see where he was coming from, but my anxiety levels went absolutely through the roof after I heard him say that. And I we had a staff Zoom meeting that night, our own school staff, and I said it straight on to the teacher, If he is telling us that schools should not open, not yet, why are we opening?
4: I, and I that's a very, this. but that's a very different message to the one that's See, coming this, from this Norma point, Foley. And this
8: is what parents, like you know, my I don't suffer from anxiety or anything like that. But I was anxious about, about sending my own two boys back to school. I won't, I won't deny that. Only half of each of their two classrooms were going back. The principal had contacted us to let us know that only half were going back, and the other half would be attending every second day because there were there was concerns about safety for the kids because obviously they would be medically vulnerable children attending and I could 100% understand that. But I just felt like I couldn't, it gave, it gave us all a totally mixed message and I, I really felt like I, I just wanted to point it out to people that we were willing to go back, I was willing to go back, but that put a huge stumbling block in the road for me. I mean, I, that's the only thing that stuck out from that webinar for me. Was when he
4: said that yeah. school should not and open. And then Audrey, wearing your mammy hat with, with at home with two little boys with special needs. Yeah. How, how tough has has lockdown been? It has been very tough. My oldest boy,
8: Dominica, can engage with his teacher online. Luckily enough, she does online Zoom class with him every day. He loves it. He loves to see his friends online. Both my boys are non-verbal, but he can still participate in his own way, using pictures, using his iPad, telling a little bit of news. He cries at the end of the half an hour when it's time to say goodbye when they start singing the goodbye song. He cries every day, and I have to tell him. We'll see them again tomorrow. And he, after a few minutes, he's fine. He gets over it. My youngest little boy can't engage online at all. So essentially, you could argue that he is getting nothing. Was I happy to send him to school? Not really. Was I going to have to because I was going back to school myself? Yes.
4: Are you seeing regression in either of the boys?
8: Um. Thankfully, no. I suppose maybe because I can do bits and pieces for them myself.
4: Yeah, because you, you have I, the qualification. I, and yeah, then you, I kind you, of, you, you say you contacted the parents of the children that you teach.
8: Yes.
4: What are you hearing from them? Are they are they all they coping? Are,
8: they were disappointed. Well, they when the initial phone call when I rang them Monday to, to off, say that we were going back Thursday, which as far as we knew from Friday night news at half past seven or whatever, we got the notification. We were we did, we did a Zoom meeting for staff on Saturday to organise straight away who were the kids that we were going to bring back and we rang the parents on the Monday morning and it was all very positive and they were all delighted to send the kids back because they felt that they needed it. I was talking to a few of the parents yesterday when we had to email them. We sent an email to all of them and then I, was, I spoke to a few by phone. They're obviously very disappointed. It would have been great to have the kids back. It would have been great for a routine. But you do have to wonder what... More important, routine for the sake of a couple of more weeks. Are everybody's health and safety? I mean, what is okay the most outside? Important okay, aspect?
4: because we're hearing that there's fresh efforts underway to try to even get a partial reopening uh, yeah. of, of the schools. What are the solutions? What about vaccinating everybody?
8: Well, that was brought up at, on the webinar as well with Dr. Kevin Kelly on Monday. Was specifically asked, could the teachers be moved up the priority list for vaccinations? And he gave us a very fluffed answer about, well, the government have their priority list, elderly, uh, frontline staff, blah, blah, blah. And he says, I would I can see it happening. And he said that there was a problem with um, having enough vaccinations in the country and that there wouldn't be any huge amount of vaccinations available in the country till March or April. So we were kind of wondering, is he telling us we're not going to be vaccinated until then? But he basically told us, more or less, in a roundabout way, that no, that wasn't going to happen. I
4: mean, happening. even if they just looked at vaccinating the special needs teachers?
8: Well, I even had this conversation with my own sister yesterday, and I said, if the, ch- the staff of special schools, like the Holy Family, they should probably be prioritised before me, because there, would, there are medically vulnerable children down there. And the fact that parents are worried enough to keep them at home, even though the school was going to be opening, that was proof enough
4: that parents were Some parents are, about it. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and regular testing would would that help? Would that be? A- I suppose it would, probably, put our minds at ease.
8: I don't know. as the full the, 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 the right the right solution. Like I can see, like I said, I can see both sides of the argument. But I really felt that teachers were teachers. Recently, are being given a, the totally raw deal. we were being blamed for it, and it really wasn't down to us, like the government, I don't think either of those two ministers that we're dealing with, Norma Foley or Joseph F. Madigan, who Personally, I have taken fierce offence to recently with the comments that she's been making about... Well,
4: her, her, her comment on the normal children was it, just that broke,
8: that actually so broke my heart. offensive. And she said it twice in two separate interviews. So she, so she can't use the excuse of, of it being a of the tongue or an accident. You don't say something like that twice. Plus, she should be educated enough to know... What's the right language to use? And then yesterday to come out and compare what's going on with the schools at the moment to what went on
4: in the mother and baby homes all those years ago. She has apologised. She has apologised. She has apologised for that um, as well. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, you struggle on, and are you doing Zoom classes with your own pupils? Yeah,
8: I'm doing Zooms with my own, own, the kids in my own case. Is that working out? Some children can engage. Some children, like my own, can't. I do phone calls to support. I can um, email. Some of the parents have my own personal mobile number, which we're not supposed to give. But I have given it because I said, look, contact me if you have any issue. And I know as a parent of two special needs kids that sometimes what parents need is a chat and a rant and...
4: I'm there for that too. Like, it's what the parents need. Well done. We heard heard that yesterday as well. Sometimes it's just to talk, somebody else uh, to listen. Listen, we appreciate your contact in the programme, Audrey, and and for putting forward a side that we're not hearing a lot of. So well done to you on that on behalf of the the other teachers listening as well. But listen, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. All right, take care. Stay Patricia. safe. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Okay, Audrey there in Whelan.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: We're going to the Station for this week's the uh, Fire. I'm joined by Sergeant Tony Cronin. Good afternoon to you, Tony.
9: Good,
2: good
4: afternoon. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Okay, you want to, you're looking for help with a burglary that happened in uh, Rathcormach.
9: Yes, uh, Patricia. It happened last Monday, which would be the 18th of January. And it was a daytime burglary, and it occurred in the vicinity of Church Place in Rack Cormack, inside the town itself. So what we're looking for, if you noticed anyone who is, we'll say, uh, sitting in a car, acting suspicious, uh, standing inside the street, watching to see movements of people, and we'll say, basically drew, drew their attention to you, we would like, if you would give the Gardie in Rackhamarka from my call, basically uh, this house was entered and there was items gone through in the house and there was some items of interest taken from the house and we would ask, uh, if you could think back to last Monday, it was a daytime burglary, which sometimes uh, especially in built up areas is is a bit unusual,
4: Mm.
9: but it was during the course of the day. It's also possible
4: hours. if it was daylight in a built up area that they called, or if it was more than one, may have called to other people's houses on the pretense of looking for someone or looking you know, to see which house was empty. Is that a possibility?
9: Yes, that's a distinct possibility. And also the fact that they may get information from um, neighbours unknowingly that they may say they're looking for Joe Bloggs when there's no job logs living there or they may have a partial name and say, oh, that person is actually uh, out today, do you know, they're working in wherever they're working yeah, or, yeah. you know, they're whatever they're actually at. So they may get information without people realising they've passed it on. So we just say, if you don't know people um, and you want to be helpful, by all means, ring the person that they're inquiring about if you have a contact number or pass it on to somebody else who can contact that person and say, is such a person to call to your house to do work or whatever it is on this occasion. Yeah, yeah. So just any, be any mindful of things like that. Again, it's last Monday and it's a daytime. It could have been just a case of people walking up, knocking on doors, not getting answers, coming back again a few minutes later if there's no one watching and then trying to get access to the premises.
4: So that's kind of general advice for everybody, isn't it, Tony, that if you see any sort of suspicious activities, and lots of people are at home now that normally are not at home, but because of lockdown, that you know there, there are a lot of people around. So generally speaking, you know the people in your neighbourhood, you know the people who have regular callers or whatever.
9: Yes, like we said, um, the criminals will still partake in crime. So what we're saying is if you could report any suspicious activity in your area, be it cars, vans, jeeps, be it a pedal cyclist who's not familiar to you, who's seen hanging around the area, um, watching what's the movements of people in and out of houses, things like that. um, A lot of these people, you see, should not be in the vicinity during this pandemic with the 5K rule, et cetera. Mm, You you need to to have a good uh, reason for your journey. So you should be reasonably familiar with the people in your locality. So the crimes are still being committed. So we would ask the, the public for their, their help in this. And also that if you have elderly neighbours or if you have people who are self-isolating or they're vulnerable people for whatever reason, that you can uh, check in these people, be it by phone or you could call to the house. You don't have to go into the house, but you can speak from a distance and you can check in their welfare in, in this regard by doing it on your own.
4: Yeah, just check in and, and if you, I, I I always get suspicious if I see an elderly neighbour and somebody calling to the door, like a tradesman, somebody offering to do shoots yeah, or somebody offering to do work. You know, moments like that, it's it's time to intervene, isn't it? And just make sure everything is OK and everything is above board. And I mean, if it is all innocence and it's above board, that's fine. But you could just actually be stepping in at the right time. You
9: could and what would be a great help if you could uh, get a description of the means of transport that the the person is using and if there's one two three people or a brief description of the person so we know whether we're talking about a young person a middle-aged person things like that you know it can all help with the inquiries but these uh, elderly people can be vulnerable to people who are plumassing them into uh, getting work done
4: Okay. And I know the Gardaí, you've been, you, you continue to help out people uh, locally, during, particularly during lockdown.
9: Yes, uh, Patricia. Basically, in, in the first lockdown that we had in the pandemic, the Gardaí, um, along with the resources that we have, and also our colleagues in the civil defence, we collect prescriptions for people who would be self-isolating or vulnerable people and items of shopping where they're in difficulty and things like that, we can arrange uh, for that if there isn't a facility in place by the shops already. So we're basically trying to help the community. And the point of contact, uh, if you require this assistance, would be your local Garda station, or if you live in a rural Garda station, your local district headquarters. And the community policing guards will be more than happy to be of it's assistance. a great
4: service. That's a that's, yeah. a, that's a great great service.
9: Yeah, not alone does it help. We'll say in getting prescriptions, or if there's uh, urgent messages uh, needed delivering, or in the case of, in some cases, items of clothing being taken to a hospital to be dropped where people can't get access, etc. Yeah. Et cetera. yeah. But it might also be the, the only point of contact that that person had for that day, you know, by the guard calling or the civil defence member calling uh, for that day or maybe a number of days with and, the pandemic that's on.
4: It also makes you aware locally, Tony, of where people are, if they're, you know, because you wouldn't be aware of every vulnerable person in the area. But suddenly through something like this, you're yes. aware of oh, down that lane where a man lives on his own, for example, you know what I mean? Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the five-kilometre travel uh, restrictions, uh, uh, Tony. Yes.
9: Are
4: are the the majority of people abiding by it?
9: What we would have to say is the majority of people are very good in, in general and they're very cooperative in this difficult time. Most of the public are stopped regularly every day at numerous checkpoints around the country and we would have to say that they're very understanding and courteous to the guards when they're stopped. The only point we would make is sometimes the public may be a little bit too helpful in that if they're going for a COVID uh, check check test, they may want to roll down the window and talk to the guard rather than just putting the phone up to the window window with their booking appointment on it, Mm -hmm. confirming, and they don't need to interact with with the guard in that situation. But the public are very um, helpful to us by and large. What we try to do is the four E's, we call it. The first one is to engage with the public then the second point is to explain what the issue is about travel, encourage people not to say, travel on these unnecessary um, journeys if they are unnecessary. And if we have to, the fourth would be to enforce it. And by enforcing, that would be where a fixed penalty notice is issued. So
4: it's a €100 euro fine
9: now, isn't it? €100 euro fine. Yeah. So basically, just to clarify what the 5K rule is, it's for exercise purposes only. Okay. And that means that. Uh, To take it to the letter of the law, it means that where you're exercising and where you go to is still within your 5k. To give you an example, that if you drove four kilometres to a point and and you part and you said you were starting your exercise there and you went for a long walk or a long cycle, whatever it is, or whatever type of exercise uh, you wish to partake in, and you go seven or eight or ten kilometres, you're well outside your area. Yeah which yeah. means that you could be interacting with other people that you wouldn't necessarily be interacting for however long or short that may be Yeah,
4: I, like I heard of somebody last weekend who was stopped by the GARdi, and they were like 30 kilometres away from where they lived and when the Garda, you know, like that did the engage and educate and was saying, you know, well, you know you're 30 kilometres you're 25 kilometres outside of the 5k which is in there for exercise and they said, oh sure, we're not getting out of the car but that doesn't matter, you're, you're not meant to be going off on a jolly in the car either
9: no, you're not supposed to be doing any unnecessary journeys. Basically, if people have medical appointments, if they have to do shopping, you have to do certain things in life, and we'll say medical appointments, your shopping, etc. You have to do. So, the unnecessary journeys are the things uh, that we're uh, trying to
4: enforce. And trying to avoid at the moment, we're all told to uh, stay at home because I know somebody was asking about NCTs and are, uh, are, are the NCT still open? And it is. Um, and that's another example if your car has to be nct but you'll have a letter or you'll have it on your phone to say you've got your NCT test. So if you stop by the guy, they say, yes, you can travel outside your five kilometres because you're going for your NCT test.
9: Yes, yeah. and any of the Agencies like NCT, Drive License, etc. They're all bookable appointments only. They're yeah. not walk-in um, appointments now. So it's all by appointment that you've pre-booked.
4: Yeah, Friday, um, we're, and we're trying to get out. We're all in this together. It's you know, it's not people trying to be killjoys. Uh, everybody wants to go off and travel. Everybody wants to go longer, go to nice scenic places uh, for your exercise. But we just can't do it at the moment. We will be able to do it again, but just not at the moment.
9: Hopefully, but we would just like to, to thank the public at large that they're very uh, understanding in this situation. That's good and, to hear, and very helpful to that the it,
4: That is good to hear. Listen, uh, keep safe, uh, Tony, because I know a number of members of Vanguard the Shiakona. I heard you, your Commissioner Drew, Drew Harris talk about this between fifteen hundred and sixteen hundred are out either with COVID or as close contact. so it's it's a tough time for everybody.
9: Tough time for everybody. Yeah.
4: Okay. Stay safe, Tony. Thank you Thank for that. You. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. That is Sergeant Tony Cronin, placed at uh, malogard the station. Some of your comments coming in. Some reaction to Audrey, who uh, joined us in the last hour, speaking as a special education needs teacher, but also wearing another hat. She's got two special needs uh, children, and she you know explained why she was all ready to go back to school, but hasn't gone is delighted that they're not back in school and she said in particular with the re- webinar that was held by Nefert on Monday she said Dr. Ronan Glynn clearly stated that it's not safe to open up schools or send children into schools at the moment listeners Carol says well said Audrey what a great woman um, the Minister for Education is speaking from both sides of her mouth. As an SNA myself, we didn't refuse to go back to work today. Norma Foley caused all this herself. or somebody else says, we're all sick of teachers and SNAs now. Just vaccinate the lot of them. But wait and see. If you do, they'll find some other excuse. What When they mention childcare issues, what childcare had they in place all along as they claim they now have a difficulty with it? What about nurses and doctors? In an emergency situation, a nurse could go in and teach children as the teacher's husband said yesterday people want their children babysat well nurses and doctors would be well able to do that but teachers and SNAs would not be able to go and do the job of a teacher or a nurse they need to grow up and cop on says a listener someone else says it's amazing how many teachers and SNAs claim they want to return to work since they got all this bad publicity is it the case so that the union are calling the shots or the fact that they're looking for a reason for them not that they can't uh, return they are really trying to confuse the situation and again whenever we mention teachers or SNAs people saying if they don't want to go into the classroom then leave them at home on a COVID payment. Someone else says let the teachers stay at home. There's plenty of young teachers qualified and they'd be only too happy to pick up the job. Okay that's just some of the calls coming in reacting to Audrey. 1850 333103 on different topics on this visit by me Hall Martin to the White House, and it seemingly now is the key objective of the government St. Patrick's Day plans. Not everyone is happy about that. A listener says, are Me Hall Martin and the rest of the government, are they so are so out of touch with people that they could even contemplate going off on a trip to Washington for St. Patrick's Day? Sons and daughters and grandchildren all stayed abroad for Christmas for fear of bringing COVID home to their elderly parents or grandparents, etc. And now we have politicians thinking of going abroad. What have we elected at all, says a, a texter. Also, Tim has a different view. Tim says Miho Martin should go to Washington and he should keep up what is a very important sequence. We need twice... This is, we are twice as important now to American companies who want to sell on into the EU. 10 officials and press attaches should be sent also with Miho Martin, says Tim. Simon Coveney, he should be sent to London, a mix of the people there. I would send 20 civil servants with him. Leo Varadkar, I would send to China and see how well they have coped with the virus there. He should also try to visit the lab. Or again, 20 civil servants should travel with them. says Tim. So Tim, Tim is seeing the broader wider picture and saying that people we should be encouraging and we definitely should be doing this trip to Washington. but he would go further. He would have more uh, more trips abroad because I'm assuming it's going to be the only trip abroad if it does uh, go ahead. 18.50. 333 Lines open.
1: The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community
2: Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice see corkkoco.com I.
4: The priests of Mallow Parish are inviting people to participate in a holy hour of guided prayer with adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. It's every evening, including Saturday in St Mary's Church at 7.30pm. Obviously you can't go into the church but it can be viewed online on their website www.mallowparish.ie And Cork County Council's COVID-19 Community Support Programme is a coordinated community response to assist vulnerable persons with their daily needs. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non emergency and non medical supports, our advice then you're invited to call their confidential, dedicated free phone number on one 805 819 r You can text 085-870-9010 and it is open from 9am to 5pm every day. Cork County Council are supporting people to stay at home, stay connected and to stay safe. And outside of those hours, you can email covidsupport at cork.com coco.ie
1: Cork Today on C103
2: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Sale. now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie
4: And to Tim who contacted us, who very much sees merit in Mihol Martin travelling to Washington and he went further. He said he would be sending Simon Coveney to London and he would be sending Leo Varadkar to China and a load of civil servants with them. Uh, Tim, somebody says, Tim must be one with the government or else he's one of those uh, civil servants while another listener says uh, "Mehol Martin should have been listening to the Garda Sergeant that you just had on there, Tim Cronin, who was telling everyone you can't travel beyond your five uh, kilometres. John O'Donovan in the city sees merit in why uh, Mihol Martin should travel to America. Good afternoon John.
10: Afternoon, John you?
4: you're, I'm very well thank you. You say we need to keep the door open to America.
10: Oh yes, I mean there's countries around the world that should actually kill for this opportunity and we have it once a year. We have the access right into the heart of American politics and we access to the, 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 the man of the free world, the president of the United States of America. Now Donald Trump was there and that's surely year Leo Veracca went and this time Mihal Martin's going. No, I wouldn't be a fan of Mihal Martin and his policies, but I don't care who's leading this country uh, the week coming to Patrick's Day and for Patrick's Day, access to the White House, Patricia. I don't care who's in power in this country, I don't care who's in power in the White House, but that access must be maintained at all times because we need the commerce. It's all about politics at the end of the day. We have access there. That door has been opened for many, many years for us and more so than ever now, we have a man that has Irish ancestry in his background, his great-great-grandfather is from this country.
4: And very proud of it.
10: And, and very proud of it, and he's mentioned it many times, right? So, I mean, to, to close that door now would be absolutely insane. And look, people are bringing up the cobras, and they're linking it that should he be travelling, whatever. Obviously, he's not going to bring a huge delegation, probably less than which would normally go. But the Prime Minister of this country, right, needs to go. And I I can't see why anyone would have a problem with that, because when COVID will be over, and it will pass eventually, right, we have to do commerce with this country. And we need that access that has been built up, that confidence, that friendliness, I mean, that connection for years. And this idea of doing Zoom calls and everything, I presume you've been involved in Zoom comms. Because Patricia, I've been involved in Zoom calls, and it's not the same. as city across the table from the person at the meeting. Okay,
4: and and the government are saying it would be a, a small delegation will travel with him, and it would be a much more scaled back uh, visit to coincide with St Patrick's Day. Would you just let that trip go ahead? Would you call off all the other ones?
10: Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be sending people here, there, and everywhere. Huge delegations. Do you I mean to China? Uh, God knows where else. But definitely do the White House like, I mean, I would definitely keep that door open. And it, if anyone have a problem with that, just remember like, that, I mean, when John Major was the Prime Minister of England, he stood up in, in, in the Commons, petition in the streets, and someone brought up about talking to the area, and he said it would make him stick to the pit of the stomach to talk to the area. And while he was standing in the street, petition saying that the talks were going on in the background with the area. In other words, you have to keep the dialogue, you have to keep the door open at all times, and more so than ever now.
4: OK, somebody says you need to cop on, he needs to stay at home. There's plenty of other years where he can travel, says one listener. Someone else says, oh my God, Micheál Martin would get more respect if he stayed at home. Forget St. Patrick's Day this year. The, this country won't be open for St. Patrick's uh, Day and the Americans would understand if he didn't travel this year. Well, I
10: think they're not looking at the bigger picture, Patricia. We need all the help we can and we come out of this. with a small country. We've been seriously battered. We've really no... How oh, are going to pick ourselves up after this? I'm on. We need all the help we can.
4: OK, all right. Not everybody agreeing with you, though, John. I can see texts coming in no hot problem. and heavy. Thanks okay. for that. Somebody says, is that man for real? No travel, says uh, one texter. And many people saying very much the same thing. Cannot understand how the government can even contemplate Mihol Martin going to the uh, States. OK, just let me go through some more of your calls coming in. And by the way, are your texts coming in? Uh, by the way, we are looking for pet questions for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, because she'll join us in a little while. 1850 333 or you can text 0862-103-103. okay some of your calls on the schools, on the SNAs and teachers going back into school. If, as Minister for Education Norma Foley, Foley says, it's safe for them to return to school, why then don't herself and her cronies, that's what's in the text, return to the door instead of spending a fortune on the convention centre where they are Holding there, you know, whenever you see the now it's all done from the convention centre. And that is costing a fortune. That listener is right as well, but it's all to do with uh, social distancing. Hi, Patricia. Can you go to a cemetery if it's 30 miles away? You, yes, you can go outside of your five kilometres if, you, if you are visiting a loved one's uh, grave. Hi, Patricia. Should retail staff not be vaccinated as soon as possible? They're dealing with the public every single day. And please remember, says Jim, most of them are doing that on a minimum wage and not. Getting a lot of thanks uh, for it. John says, Patricia, never mind the UK strain of COVID 19, which is now the dominant strain in this country. What about the Brazilian strain when it comes? COVID is here for this year at least. We need the vaccines today, not tomorrow. The Taoiseach is asleep at the wheel. Any chance we could give him a one way ticket to America? and uh, Simon Coveney seems to be hiding under the bed since Brexit Uh, no wonder he is says uh, John another listener says Patricia will barbers be open on the 1st of February thanking you my gut instinct no I can't see barbers and hairdressers as much as I'd love to get my hair done. I certainly can't see them being opened on the 1st of February. The speculation is that they're going to extend this lockdown into February at least. When into February, I don't know. Other commentators are saying it could go right into uh, March. So no, I personally can't see them opening on the 1st of February. It could be proven uh, wrong. Joan says, Patricia, we're all finding this current lockdown very hard. I am in my 70s they hurry up with the vaccine? I have brothers and a sister living in the UK. They're all over 70. They've all already had the vaccine since last week, says Joan, which is fantastic uh, for them. And yet any one anyone of us who've got loved ones over the age of 70 in England will uh, will acknowledge that they have. They are getting the vaccines out into the community. We are hoping, and I know John Paul is working on it in the background, we are hoping to get a GP to join us just to see what the GPs have been told because we know now that the. The package has been sorted out for how much GPs and pharmacies will be paid to administer the vaccine. So we know that that deal is in place. It's just waiting for the vaccines to arrive. But it does look like the GPs will be ready to go. And they're the ones who will be administering the vaccine into the community. But just to get a kind of a timeline on it. And again, I mentioned this earlier on in the week. Please don't be ringing your GP practice trying to find out when the vaccine is in because they don't have it uh, yet but we'll see if we can find out from GPs what's going on in the background and what sort of timeline they are uh, expecting. Uh, Texter says, when I do my shopping I do keep my distance, I make sure that I I keep two metres well away from everyone with schools of five and six hundred pupils, how can they possibly keep two metres apart? So somebody who uh, certainly is in favour of the schools remaining uh, closed And uh, some of your WhatsApps coming in. What about all of the frontline staff who are working in retail working in marts working in the NCT that you spoke about earlier home carers should be staying home anyway and limiting their contacts I don't mean to be disrespectful to carers says this texter but this person feels that the frontline staff in people who are out every day dealing with members of the public that they are the ones who should get it ahead of carers (sighs) Ah. <sighs> Yeah, but what you what you're forgetting is if the carer brings back the COVID nineteen and it's not a case that the carer can always stay at home. If they're the only person caring for the person, they have to get out and about to get medication, maybe to take per- the person to a medical appointment, to get shopping, to do everything else that needs to be done. So it's it's that's a very tricky one. I wouldn't like to be the person trying to do the sequencing of deciding who's going to get it first, um or not for sure. Eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three uh, OK, that's a pet question. Thank you for that. Uh, people still going on with John O'Donovan. cannot believe that uh, they, that John O'Donovan wants Micheál Martin to go to Washington. Somebody says, could Hall Martin not do a, Z- a Zoom call with President Joe Biden? That's from Jim. And I reckon he's going to be doing a lot of... Joe Biden will be doing a lot of Zoom calls and a lot of telephone calls, I imagine. Also, I suppose the government ministers will be the first to get the vaccine if they're flying to uh, America. I've heard nothing about that. I've absolutely heard nothing about that. Somebody else says if Micheál Martin is going to America, then surely the best thing to do is to give him the vaccine before he goes. So there's somebody who says that's the way to do it. Did I hear that Micheál Martin is going to America why would he be able to do that? While we, the rest of the peop- rest of the people, are prisoners in our own country. Okay, texts are coming in hot and heavy on that. People are just really upset about the notion of Mihol Martin going to uh, America. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. If you've got a pet question, get it in, please, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us. You can text our WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103.103. 103.
1: Court Today on C103. With Sean
2: Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. ie.
1: This is the Court Today replay on C103. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax.
4: two requests that have come in. Hi Patricia, could you wish uh, a very happy 19th birthday to Mikey Buckley in Moorn He's doing, he is leaving search this year and he is remote learning from school as we speak. He's a great lad and he's doing really well. All the very best to him. That's Mikey Buckley. Happy birthday to you Mikey. And could you congratulate my granny on her 100th birthday today. That's Bridget Landers from uh, Kilbeheny From all of her grandchildren all over. Over the world. Happy birthday to you, uh, Bridget. And no doubt when we come out of lockdown, the family will have a huge, huge celebration for you. Now, Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital, New Market, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let me get straight in. There's a lot of questions in. And firstly, thank you to uh, Breda in Mallow. I'll see afterwards if John Paul can send this on to you, Jane. It's a picture of uh, Edwina, one of the now not feral kittens. I'll give you an update next (laughs) week. I'll give you an update next week, but I had to send, uh, send this on to you. They are fab little cats, by the way. It was a wet and windy evening in November when I put them into the spare room. They're using all the litter trays provided uh, and they have settled in absolutely no mess and they are spotless and they've become total lovable house pets. God, she's done great work, hasn't she, breathed In Mallow?
3: Oh, absolutely. And well done for sticking with it. I think cats are incredibly adaptable creatures if we just simply give them time to adapt and the right friendly loving conditions to do. So really, really well done on, on um, kind of taming them and I'm sure they will enjoy a, a long and happy life uh, with creature comforts
4: And I don't know where the name Edwina came from, (laughs) but she's a beautiful looking cat for sure. Okay, straight in. Let's stay with cat questions. Hi, Patricia. My cat is scratching under her jaw and just under one ear. I have put the drops on for fleas, but he's still scratching. He's a one year old. Uh, Your vet, Jane, might be able to help with some advice, please.
3: Yeah, I think first of all, well done for getting that spot on on and making sure that the common things are covered. So the main common things that would cause itching and scratching in cats would be fleas, ear mites, etc. Now, every spot on is a little bit different and your vet will be able to guide you as to what exactly is covered by that spot on. But what I would say is if your cat is still itching after that, um, I would pop to your vet for an examination because it sounds like we might have an ear infection on our hands. Sometimes cats can be trying to scratch or itch at the ear and miss slightly. So they might cause, let's say, um almost self-trauma underneath the ear so they can be scratching underneath down their chin sometimes or even sometimes the the ones that are not as flexible as as younger cats can be trying to itch and scratch their ear and might leave a bald patch on their shoulder they might not be able to quite reach with the foot so what i would say is vizier vet well done for for getting them covered with the spot on but it sounds like they might have an ear infection now that could be something as simple as a little bacterial ear infection that might require some ear drops Or it could be something else like ear mites. I think it's really important to get it checked out, though.
4: Okay, Nina has what she describes as a senior cat who has just recently started loud meowing across the night. She has food, water, clean litter tray all available to her and she's just been passed fit by her local vet. Why would a cat suddenly start meowing at night?
3: Okay, it sounds like you've covered a lot of the... the the kind of basic information. So you've made sure they have a lot of resources, lots of litter trays, plenty of food, and you've made sure that your little cat is nice and healthy, so well done for doing that. If our cat is quite healthy and there's no obvious change in environment, then it could be, if they're a little bit more senior, it could be that, let's say, a behavioral change associated with an increase in age. So first thing I'd just make sure is that there's no major change in the environment. Um, so nothing has changed with where the cat is sleeping or where you've popped its bed or anything like that, because that can sometimes really throw them off, particularly if they're a little bit older and less adaptable. Um, Likewise, if you move furniture around to a cat, a big change could be you moving the sofa two centimetres to the right. They are incredibly sensitive creatures. So just have a little bit of a think about what might have changed. If everything is perfectly the same and our cat is healthy, then I would be a little bit concerned that there might just be a bit of brain ageing change. Very similar to in humans, we can sometimes get changes in our brain function as we get older. So senility or, or let's say Alzheimer's. Now, with cats, there, it is impossible to prove that this is the case. But anecdotally, we do notice behavioral change in older cats in some cases. And sometimes it can present with, let's say, distress or confusion or sometimes just being a lot more vocal, which would be the most common sign we see in cats that might just um, have a little bit of behavioral change when they get a bit older. Sometimes it could be that they're, let's say, hearing something that they don't recognize or can't remember they're meowing vocalizing or sometimes it can be that there's a little bit of confusion and their let's say day to night pattern of when they would normally be asleep and awake um is not quite as settled as it would be for them before. I think the main thing to do is as long as your cat has a, a great quality of life otherwise eating, drinking happy and healthy, then I wouldn't be hugely concerned about it at this point have a chat to your vet if the behaviour continues. Occasionally there are medications that we can give to improve kind of the oxygenation to the brain if, if we do suspect behavioural change but your own vet will be the best person to judge if that's appropriate in this case. Um, but I think well done for covering all the bases and making sure your cat is safe but it, it may just be either some a change in the environment or maybe a, a, change in the, a change in the brain with some age.
4: Okay, hi Jane. I have an 11-year-old, 11-week-old puppy and I'm wondering how soon should I start taking the puppy for grooming? so that the puppy gets used to it?
3: Okay, so I think the really important thing is it depends on what breed they are. So some short-haired breeds won't require grooming apart from, let's say, a good wash for the health of the skin, let's say, three or four times a year. Um. Whereas longer breeds, for example, kind of Bichon Frise, Poodle, Springer's, things like that, um, that would have hair hair that would be a lot more prone to getting tangled or matted. It's important to to groom those more frequently. I I would say for you know, let's say your average fluffy haired breed, uh, kind of every six to eight weeks, maybe a little bit longer if if they're quite short, um, in their haircut but I think your your groomer or your vet would be the best person to give you advice on how frequently to groom your pet but as for the first one I would normally suggest once they've had their full primary course of vaccination so they're, they're let's say two weeks after the second vaccination and safe to go out and about because they have immunity to those infectious diseases that we'd be vaccinating for then the more things we expose them to in this period the better. I think at the moment we're quite restricted because of COVID so certainly any kind of non-essential services so grooming will kind of be a non-essential service same as kind of hairdressing and um, are, are not active at the moment so it it might be a little while before you can book them in but I would say any time from kind of four or five months onwards maybe even a little bit earlier if you have quite a brave happy puppy because the earlier you start to have that experience even if they don't need the groom for the the sake of their hair just gets them used to that, uh, and that's it's exactly what, this, yeah,
4: it's exactly what this person is thinking yeah. of, so that they, they, you don't have problems when the dog eventually does need to, need to go. Okay, um, exactly. Mitch, on listener, question please for Jane. We have a Yorkshire Terrier and we also have a pug, both males. Every time we leave the pug out, the terrier attacks him. Now we got the pug new shirt because we thought maybe that would help sort things out, but the terrier still attacks him. This is how bad it got. The pug lost an eye over the terrier a few months ago and we ended up having to go to the vets for an operation to remove the eye. What can we do to stop the terrier from attacking the pug? We'd greatly appreciate any advice from Jane.
3: Both are neutered by the way. Yeah, both are neutered. This is a really difficult situation sometimes. If for one reason you have one, let's say, quite aggressive dog um, in a household and they, and they don't seem to be sorting out, let's say, their pecking order, it can be really stressful for everyone and dangerous uh, in, in some cases, as, as we've kind of found out with some trauma to the eye in a previous case. What I would say is this sounds like it's a serious enough issue in the household that it's best to get a professional involved. I would ask your local vet who they would recommend as a qualified certified behaviourist. Um, so that you can get, let's say, I suppose after COVID has settled down, um, most likely somebody to come in, assess the situation and the environment, assess how the two dogs react in their own environment, because that seems to be the problem when you let them out together um, and see what you can do to rectify the situation. It does sound like it's going to be a little bit complex, but I think the main thing is in the meantime, make sure that you're with the dogs, supervised and or separate them just to limit any damage that could be done because safety is key.
4: Yeah, because I know I had a friend of mine who had two Cocker Spaniels and did everything, went for classes, tried everything. Mm-hmm. One was just vicious towards the other one. And they ended up having to have the more vicious dog rehomed, who then went on to a, another family, in, is now in a house on his own. And that dog is, is the most gentle dog you could ever imagine. Just did not want to be with another dog
3: yeah they're all a little bit different it's like ourselves some of us are party people and some of us prefer kind of the solitude of our own company but um yeah i think certainly this needs maybe a little bit more of a kind of an in-depth look at yeah probably not going to be a simple fix
4: okay um lots of people with puppies i've got a german shepherd puppy eight weeks old how do you stop him biting everything
3: oh give him uh lots of distraction this is a real real challenge I must admit to manage if it's that he's biting or gnawing at you or the family whilst you're playing with him let's say play biting or it's really important just for the safety of everyone to make sure that that behavior is discouraged now the best way to do that is not by shouting or anything like that it's just by disengaging so if they're let's say play biting with your hand as soon as any play biting happens just stand up remove your hand and just ignore the dog for a few minutes because they'll learn that once they start engaging in any kind of play biting behavior with you that the fun ends so the best thing to do is just to kind of not engage in that behavior and give them some time out. But if it's that he's eating everything in sight and thinks he shouldn't, it's really important to try and get him to chew on safe things. So um, visit your vet and have a chat with him about appropriate toys. It's really important for dental health for puppies not to pick toys that are going to be too hard and could potentially damage their baby teeth. So it's important to get puppy appropriate toys. But I think that will be the best thing to do is try and channel that kind of all of that puppy energy and all of that kind of wanting to explore with their mouth into something constructive so um, puppy toys or even ones that you can stuff for example like a Kong toy you can stuff with um, let's say a little bit of their food and they can have lots of fun rolling that around and trying to lick the food out of the middle of it I think it's really just making sure that you're giving them a safe way of explaining that of displaying that behaviour okay. um, and learning about the world
4: And you've just answered the very same questions come in from Fiona except her a German shepherd puppy is nine weeks old and biting and chewing everything so the same mm-hmm. advice to uh, Fiona Hi I have a nearly three year old Springer very excitable he pees every time he's shown any bit of attention and as a result we've been unable to leave him uh, leave the house much is there any way to stop this pees with excitement
3: Peace with excitement is most likely the fact that he is quite submissive. Um, so it means that, let's say, if he's interacting with people, he's probably a, there's probably maybe a little bit of kind of fear, trepidation, um, and he might just be trying to make himself seem as non-threatening as possible within the animal kingdom um, anytime he has an interaction. And part of that, sometimes we see behaviours like you go to pet a dog and they roll on their belly immediately because they're trying to show you their belly. Say, I'm not going to be a threat here. Sometimes it's things like peeing. And um, so they might be saying, well, I'm peeing here, so I'm really not a threat to you. It's really sometimes just that they might be a little bit of a fearful dog in some in some instances. So I think um, exposing them just very gently to lots of friendly encounters with people can sometimes help to make them more relaxed long term. But if the behavior continues, I think very similarly, I would advise maybe discussing it with um with your vet and getting referred to a, a behaviorist because you want to be able to go out and about with your dog and have lots of nice walks. Um, so it is something that you could definitely work uh, on. It isn't good um, for the dog
4: to be that nervous either as well.
3: No, yeah. exactly. We want him to be nice and relaxed and confident.
4: OK. So, yeah,
3: All right, listen, we'll on. leave it there. Have a good week and we'll chat next Thursday. You too. Thank you very much.
4: Jane. Jane Pickett the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group for Go. So let me wrap up with um, some final texts in. Didn't get to this one from earlier. Uh, Says Patricia one thing that really stood out about the inauguration of Joe uh, Biden and uh, Kamala Harris yesterday and the one thing I found so disappointing was the articles and social media reporting solely on what Michelle Obama and Kamala Harris etc were wearing. Okay I get it. People like to comment and keep up with fashion and that's fine but it just seemed so wrong that uh, at least two women with so much education and so much achievements under their young belts were reduced to social media noise on their chosen outfits. I thought the same thing myself because nobody was talking about the suits that the boys uh, were were, uh, making. And someone else on the inauguration Pat says uh, was disappointed that the owners of the United States didn't feature the people who were murdered starved, raped and mutilated I'm talking about The great American native Indian, the people who helped us when we were starving in this country uh, in our uh, famine. And they were okay until the English arrived on their shores and started to carry out the destruction of these beautiful people. There wasn't one of them invited yesterday, says uh, Pat. And uh, a lot of people were disagreeing with John O'Donovan about the Taoiseach going to America, except Frick says, Hi, Patricia. Same as always, it's the Taoiseach, not the Prime Minister you <laughs> They broke the rules first day close down everything here and then they head off and enjoy everything it's the first time I agree with uh, John O'Donovan agrees with anything says Frick okay that's what I've got to leave you for today thanks to John Paul we're back with you tomorrow morning Nick Richards with you for the afternoon talk to you tomorrow at 10 stay safe
1: Court Today on C103
2: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie